You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I begin with a question. How in the world do you sleep at night? With floods, wars, sickness, COVID, monkeypox. Do you sleep soundly? So that like the psalmist, you can say, I lie down at night and sleep comes at once. For you, O Lord, make me to rest in safety. Or perhaps you lay awake for a long time and wait anxiously for sleep to come. For myself, I like to brag that sleep is my superpower. I lay down, all cares vanish away. But I have a kryptonite that unravels my powers of sleep. It is the fear of being called a fool. Most days I have this fear under control and I sleep like a rock. There are times when I hear whispers that wound me and wake me. I hear a voice softly saying, you fool, you're no preacher. Listen at you and the jabber that comes out of your mouth in the pulpit. I sit up straight in my bed at three in the morning, my sleep undone and no prospect of soothing my ruffled feathers. And I suspect that I'm not alone in having the fear of being seen as a fool and waking in the middle of the night. Jesus' parable touches on this fear in pretty unsettling ways. To be called a fool by God is perhaps the worst nightmare possible. Though I hope to offer a remedy for this fear, to be faithful to Jesus' teachings, we're going to have to first probe its roots in a way that might just touch a nerve or be unsettling. His parable probes us like a doctor looking at a sore place in need of healing. How does Jesus come to tell this unsettling story? Luke tells us that it happened in the middle of an inheritance battle between brothers. One brother wants Jesus to get in the middle of the fight and arbitrate just like a good rabbi should do. But Jesus will have none of that. Our translation today reads, friend, who made me a judge over you? But that translation, I think, waters down the tension that I read here. I'd gloss it more like, hey, buddy boy, don't cast me in that role. Jesus gives a hard no to the arbitrator role. And then, as if to add insult to injury, he tacks on some unsolicited advice. 
Beware of all greed. The Greek word for greed is pleonexia. And it signifies an overweening attachment to limitless gain. Gimme, gimme, gimme. More, more, more. That's greed. That's pleonexia. Was this what was driving his brother into a, a dispute? Do you perhaps recognize a similar acquisitiveness in yourself? How might Jesus' warning about acquisitiveness apply to your situation? One of the commandments states clearly, thou shalt not covet. Though people give lip service to that, it seems like it goes smack dab against our consumer economy, telling us thou shalt covet. And, and advertising agencies that glorify conspicuous consumption. Touche, Jesus, you touched the nerve. Jesus next launches into parable mode with a rich man at harvest time. His fields had busted out a bumper crop. His barns were full. What else could he do but tear down and build more, bigger, and better? Sounds familiar. With storage buildings in Kentucky today being one of the most lucrative investments around. We don't have room for all of our stuff, so we put it in storage. The greedy man in the story says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But no sooner does he hatch this plan to tear down the buildings, then God's voice comes to him in the dark. You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? How do you imagine this voice coming at the story? At first, I was tempted to imagine a voice coming, something like a voice out of the Wizard of Oz. Flashing fire, a big head, a booming voice, thunder. But then I imagined it as a quiet whisper. God whispering, you fool. You were made for so much more than stuff and you settled for less. Whether loud or quiet, doesn't matter how we imagine the voice. What matters is that the voice is true. It is foolish to pile up stuff. It will go away. It will be taken from us. Material wealth does not last. So Jesus ends the parable, that's the way it is with those who store up treasures for themselves and are not rich toward God. This parable explodes like a booby trap. To hear it in good faith might mean that we need to feel its unsettling power. The word fool 
is a harsh one, but it reflects the harsh reality that if all we do is store things up, then we're left with nothing that really matters much. But although we must not shirk from the truth of Jesus' judgment here, we also must not succumb to shame, fear, and despair in being called a fool. The fear of being called a fool can paralyze us. The shame just makes us more miserable. I have a remedy for this paralyzing fear and for the shame and I hope that it'll be like a tin roof that sheds those, that fear and shame like water off of a tin roof. And I propose that instead of being afraid of being called a fool, that you embrace it. Embrace your inner fool. Being willing to make a complete idiot out of yourself can be a superpower. A Kentucky musician and clogger that I admire, Carla Gover, credits her willingness to make a complete idiot out of herself on the dance floor as a wellspring of creativity and a fountain of joy in her life. However, in urging you to embrace your inner fool, it's not just any kind of foolishness I'm urging. I am urging you to be a fool for Christ, as St. Paul teaches us. I am urging you to become part of a group of saints called holy fools in the Orthodox tradition. These holy fools are averse to human wisdom and have a deeper wisdom, a divine wisdom. St. Francis of Assisi is a saint that I associate with this kind of folly. One story from the life of St. Francis tells how he was inspired to give up wealth. As a young man, he was a fashionable soldier, given to the latest style, a dashing gentleman wearing exorbitant velvet and brocades. Inspired by Jesus' command to rebuild the church, he went to his father's cloth warehouse and sold the bulk of it, lock, stock, and barrel, and gave it to the bishop. His father complained to the bishop about his son's folly, saying how he was disrespected by the very son that he had clothed with such style. Young Francis said nothing. He quietly took off his clothes, handed them to his father, and said, God was his true father. Francis then took up simple brown cloth to wear and spent his life in poverty, giving generously to the poor. Don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging you to sell all your clothes or to shuck your duds for Jesus, but rather I'm asking you to look at St. Francis 
joyful generosity as a kind of holy folly. The parable that warns us against the foolishness of acquisitiveness can call us towards God's foolishness, which is an abundant generosity. The foolishness of God, we might say, is wiser than human wisdom. And as I exhort you to generosity today, though, I feel like I'm already preaching to the choir. I know you as generous and a giving group. So I come today not to taunt you or to chide you for what you have acquired, but to urge you forward in a holy, divine generosity. Be God's fools. Be lavish with your love. I close with a story that has inspired me with its generosity through the years and whose fruit I have the privilege to enjoy from a person I have never met but benefited directly from. Her name is Isabel March Hyatt, my grandmother-in-law, Jane's maternal grandmother, Early in her life, Isabel contracted rheumatic fever. When her first daughter was born, she was told that either she could remain on bed rest for six hours a day and live out a normal life expectancy. Or she could engage in the work of motherhood full time and have her life shortened by half. She chose the generous path, raised her two children tirelessly, without stint or pause. And the doctors were right. She died young, in her 40s. We might say it was medically foolish for her to do this, but it was the foolishness of a mother's love. She wanted nothing to do nothing but give. Her children both held her and her husband both held her in reverence as a saint. Her daughter wrote this of her. I would lie with her in bed sometimes and just feel a lot of strength from her. Just quiet talk, not amounting to much. It wasn't profound or philosophical necessarily, but the communion was deep and rich. In contrast to the fool, rich fool who was rich in money, Isabel and her daughter Betty were incredibly rich in love. These two were rich in God's way, the way of love. And as we heed the warning, thou shalt not covet, we would do well to hearken to its flip side. Thou shalt be generous. Why should we be generous? We should be generous because God is generous. 
And we are God's children. And so the charge I would leave you with today is that you look into your own heart, asking, how can I faithfully embrace the foolishness of generosity? How can I be a fool for Christ and give my all to God who has given all to me? And let me tempt you with a hope. If you give yourself to God's loving generosity, God's voice just might come to you in the night saying, you fool, you holy fool, you blessed fool, rest soundly in my love this night, now and forever. Amen.